What's up, everyone? It's Kirby Porter, and welcome to another episode of Court to Corporate. We're sitting down with athletes, discussing their personal playbooks, and diving deeper into how it's translated to success and lessons outside the game and in the business world. On this episode, we are sitting down with Jimmy Martin, the co-founder of the world's first ever and only cold temperature fitness studio, Burn. Now, backtracking, after graduating from George Mason's wrestling program, Jimmy initially saw his inability to devote his all to one lane and one career path as a weakness. However, he gradually just stepped into what was his truth and saw that It was actually a strength in his ability to wear many hats that allowed him to create his own path. It's what led him to be the multifaceted celebrity personal trainer, background performer on SNL, and advertising copywriter all in one. What he found was that by not building his entire identity around one aspect of who he was, he was able to embrace the lessons that came with each and let the opportunity flow. Today, Burn is an acclamation of everything Jimmy is passionate about. And similar to his personal story, the business has created a lane of its own in the fitness industry. The first ever cool temperature fitness studio is one in 38,000. That is the only studio out of 38,000 fitness concepts that focuses on exercising below 72 degrees. From an idea sparked while training a client in 2013 to breaking through the fitness industry today, We walk through Jimmy's journey and discuss his why not mentality that sheds light on the importance of leaning into your interest, how embracing your many hats can diversify your vantage points, enhance your value, and ultimately result in more opportunity. And lastly, tactical advice for entrepreneurs on why and how your circle is the most important factor on your path to success. Cool. Um, so happy that we're able to do this in the studio. I know you guys are in the week of your one year anniversary, so congratulations. Thank you. But what's the feeling for you guys right now? Uh, I mean, it's so it's so crazy looking back how uh, how one year has gone by so quickly. Um, I sort of liken it to a show that has renewed for the second season. We've been very fortunate to have all the original cast members, all the you know original the OG instructors mm-hmm. here. The people that work, uh, our, our studio coordinators, it's uh, it's a great feeling because as every day that has gone by, we realize that we could not be doing this without one another, and and that community, seeing it grow over time and seeing people completely change their perception about what it means to uh, to to step outside your comfort zone to find bliss on the other mm-hmm. side of that, and to be prompted by the environment that you're in, whether it's a cool temperature environment or whether it's a, an environment with uh, positive people and how our energies really do affect one another. So there was so much energy Wednesday night uh, on May first when we were celebrating the one year and so many balloons and so many yes. so yeah so many so many uh, good memories. But you know May second we were right back to work. Of course. Speaking of energy, I've had the opportunity to take your classes and I know that your enthusiasm could just do better than any summary. So how about we just start with the rundown? Who is Jimmy Martin? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> Jimmy Martin is a 34-year-old uh, uh, boy <laughs> from uh, from 44, Pennsylvania. So it's a, a town that's about 15 minutes south of Scranton, which is uh, which was popular popularized by the hit show The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I grew up in a beauty shop. My mom's a small town hairdresser. And my dad uh, worked at a hospital as a respiratory uh, respiratory therapist and a cardiovascular sonographer and really positioned his his career goals to align with that of being a coach for both mm-hmm. my sister and myself. So, you know, grew up, played many different sports. I was a, uh, a wrestler. I played baseball. I played football. Um, you know, my, my, my dad and my mother and my grandfather, like had, there was a karate school that like that my grandfather had founded. And, and so just like being a part of such a sports centric community, you know, mm-hmm. athletics was always uh, at the you know backdrop of who I you know, really built my identity for me. Like everything was built around sports. And uh, I got to, you know, um, I was a part of, you know, football and wrestling were the two sports I kept with when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Got a scholarship to be a division one wrestler at George Mason University. And, you know, um, went, went, went four hours south for school to sort of like figure out who I was. I had a lot of friends that stayed at home for multiple reasons and got to, to really extend their uh, their careers after high school you know a few minutes away from home but mm-hmm. I just felt I needed to leave but at the core who I am you know just a guy a, a, a genuine guy who's obsessed with puns but it but even more focused on just always asking why mm-hmm. or why not and trying to implement a sense of humor and innovation into everything that I do and um, just you know, which is really why Burn to me is like an amalgamation of all the things I'm passionate about. I'm just very fortunate and blessed to to have made this pipe dream a, a full fledged reality. Yeah. Yeah. I know you just mentioned growing up, sports was the background of your identity. Can you tell us more about your time at George Mason? I know you majored in communications, found your passion for acting there. What was that experience like uh, with wrestling? As yeah. Well? Uh, I mean. Again, extremely fortunate to have had a household that supported athletics. I mean, my both my parents, the sacrifices that they made to travel out of town for for wrestling matches, and uh, my mom with the steady hand filming the matches, my mm-hmm. dad on you know right there on the side coaching, um, and then my sister who was also a, a Division One athlete. She was a field hockey player at Towson University. Oh, cool. So. Uh, you know, it was important for me to get away because of having such a tight knit community, and I wanted to challenge myself to step outside my comfort zone and to see if I could see who Jimmy Martin was mm-hmm. in a different context. And so, had a really good, I had a successful high school career. I was able to be a two time All American postseason uh, in high school, and uh, you know, was two hundred and twenty five pounds, and 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 ended up competing at one eighty four uh, in high school, so or in, in college, and. And so people thought I had a tapeworm when I came back home oh from school. They're like, what happened to you? I'm like, I now eat better and yeah. exercise all the time. But uh, George Mason University was essential, was essential, was a, was a inflection point for me because I was around people who spoke many different languages. I mean, at one time, it was like the most diverse school in the country. Mm-hmm. And so to be around a bunch of different people who had, a, who came from many different stories uh, and to have a school that that was focused on the entire experience, not just, you know, athletics. There's a reason why the word student was in front of the word athlete. Mm-hmm. And so we were, I was extremely fortunate to have a, you know, to be part of an athletic program where all the teams had, you know, were standing alongside one another. I feel like it, it's a little off balance in other universities, yeah. um, but I was very fortunate that George Mason sort of had that, um, you know, had taken that 
perspective of, of making sure that we all were able to have conversations with one another. But, um, but yeah, it was there from 2003 to 2007, got to be a part of the, you know, just this incredible, uh, you know, experience when, when our basketball team was like the Cinderella team mm-hmm. and, and we're, we're in the final four. So that was in, in, incredible. For the longest time, they thought George Mason and James Madison were the same oh school. So they're like, oh, you go to, uh, to, you go to George Madison. It's like, no, it's George Mason. Like, oh, James Mason. I'm like, forget about it. Forget it. Different now, colors. Different colors. Exactly. But on the, on the map. So, um, right. but definitely it was, it was the start of, of many great things to come for, for, for me. Yeah. I'd love to start with your passion for acting. Um, I mean, in undergrad, like, what helped you decide what to pursue right out of the gates? I'd love to hear more about what the first steps were that led to Jimmy, the multifaceted, like, trainer, actor, uh, copywriter. Like, how did that all come together yeah. for you? It's so interesting when, when I look back to think, I, I think all athletes are performers, you know? Uh, it's There's a unique experience with wrestling where it's a combination of being part of a team, which is like being part of a cast, but then your performance is your performance, and at the end of the day, you can't blame if you don't know your lines. That's that's on you. If mm-hmm. you didn't train to to show up to to win that match, that's on you, mm-hmm. and your performance affects other people. And so, um, I think that there was always a parallel between whether it was being on stage or in front of the camera and like being on the wrestling mat, and that was all, that always intrigued me. And I and I you know I sort of identify first as a writer and just sort of being a person that enjoys talking with people, the performance at, you know, the sort of passion for, for performance was an extension of, of my love for, for writing and, and, and creating something from nothing, right? Telling stories that really reflected the human condition. And so mm-hmm. um, in college, I had taken an acting class uh, and I just, I was, I was hooked. I didn't know what that meant. I was told that I should audition for like community theater in mm-hmm. the area, that I should maybe take this seriously. And um, that really stuck with me. So like a year after, you know, like right after college, I was lucky to work within the athletic department at George Mason to work for this woman named Nina Rogers, who I'm extremely grateful for because she gave me a job basically being her write, like writing assistant. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to audition and do to do community theater. And I got my first big break um, doing regional theater uh, when the show History Boys came from New York into regional theater. And I got to perform at the studio theater in, in DC for for 14 weeks and um, immediately got eligible for equity and and I was like oh that's interesting and then more things had come and was in an independent film and got eligible to join SAG and yeah. AFTRA and I was like oh within like a few months time like me willing this stuff to happen it was happening and yeah. so I had to make a decision do I just say oh this is just luck or do I see this as an opportunity to take it even further and then I moved to New York in 2009. Cool. And then, so when you moved to New York, is that when the personal training came into the mix? I know you had started some of your own businesses within that realm as well. What inspired you um, or encouraged you to bring that like system of thinking, I guess, to the fitness world? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I The, the traditional archetype for uh, an actor is like they get a job as a bartender yeah. or a waiter. Um and I just, you know, I considered it and I thought about it, but I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be good at that. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I just, I just don't know that world. And, um, I was like, well, you know, I have a background as a D1 athlete. Why not sort of map, you know, that experience onto a, a way to make a living. And, and I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll join a gym and I'll, I'll be a personal trainer. Yeah. And that served me well because one, it kept me active and kept me focused on my mental and physical health. But it was also a, a nice parallel to selling myself, you know, like to get somebody to 
to train with you, like to walk up, like cold call, like, Hey, you have skin. Do you have a pulse? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's train, let's, you know, like finding connect. a way. How do yeah, let's connect. And so, so all the while that was always at the foundation of, of like trying to make a living. And, you know, I had done other side jobs. I was like passing out newspapers for AM New York and, and trying to get people to sign up for the New York times. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had done nude art modeling briefly, which my parents weren't really happy about. <laughs> and as I joked before, I, you know, the sort of, realization that it may be, be time it would be time to put my clothes back on was when my dad said like you realize most people get dressed to go to work and you get undressed to right. go to work and, and I was like yeah that's that's a good point uh but a great life lesson nonetheless but um yeah it was uh it was it was that that like kept me active and, and I'm happy that I kept with it because it was you know it was in 2013 when this whole idea of burn came to me mm-hmm. during a, a, a session that I had with a client so I was extremely grateful for like not questioning this or not identifying as a personal trainer, just knowing that it was like an aspect of my identity, not the mm-hmm. entire thing that I built my identity on. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a, you know, it was another, another thing to add to the hyphens that I had, you know, after my name. Yeah. So I know we're in the world of side hustles right now. Mm-hmm. During that time frame for you, were you viewing one thing as this is my main focus and everything else is supplementing it? Or was it kind of what you just mentioned? I have hyphens. Like I am multifaceted, can't be locked to one thing. Um, how? What was that mentality for you? Yeah, I think it was very almost like like trying to eliminate the hyphens behind my name was like trying to swim against the current uh, instead of with it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think for me, I saw it as a as a as a form of weakness. I couldn't like like lock down one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I had friends who, who just came here to act and friends who just did this and just did that. And I was envious of them that they, they were able to sort of put all their focus into one thing. And um, and that, like, discouraged me. But, you know, I always looked up to people who were able to, like, write and perform. People who, like, were also producers. I like I liked the idea of this multifaceted, this person sort of, like, jack of all trades or, mm-hmm. you know, Jane of all trades. Uh I don't know if they say Jane of all trades, but maybe they should. Maybe they should. Um and and slowly but surely started to like embrace that versus see it as like a a scarlet well you know scarlet letter that I wore on my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be it by letter. It should be scarlet letters because of the the, the, <laughs> joke, the bad jokes aside. Um, but I, uh, you know, I really I I I was like you know this is who I am. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna create my own way. I started to write sketches and I wrote plays and was producing my own work and in doing so. In, in embracing wearing those many hats, I sort of started to, I, I got more attention and that led to me getting job as a greeting card writer and job as a copywriter where I wrote, you know, ads at, at billboard and commercials for, for, for clients. Yeah. And I was doing that for fun. And I was like, oh, you can get paid to do this stuff? Like yeah. funny one-liners? Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. so and the more I started to embrace those things, the more opportunities came my way and um, I just think it's so important for people just to, if you're interested in something, if it's your passion, if it keeps you up at night, like lean into it. Don't see it as a flaw. Don't listen to any other any other person who comes from a very traditional background and says, oh, it has to be this way. We live in a different world now. It, I mean, t- to me, people who have a lot more, you know, a lot, it helps add to life experiences. And when, and when, I, when we hire people here at Burn, if they don't have a story to tell, if they don't have like a bunch of different things going on, you know, it, to me, like, I, I, I kind of get bored, and I'm just so grateful that we have people that have stories here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that honestly just reminds me of this workshop that the NFL Players Association did. It was called Athlete And. Oh, wow. You know, and it's like Athlete And fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying just maps directly onto that. It's like, 
if you have that burning passion or you have this little light that's going off in your head, like pay attention to it, take note of it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be this huge thing that it turns into one day, but what can you do with it now? And maybe it will turn into opportunity. Right. I just just think it makes you a better person. Like you see things from multiple vantage points and, and in the world where there's so many options out there, it's, I I think it's weird if, if people only obsess over one thing mm-hmm. and and when things don't go their way or they don't they're not able to do those things anymore they 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 feel like they aren't who they are mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's important to have hobbies and you know I do improv and improv and sketch comedy was was something that I was pursuing as a career I mean it's it helped me sort of move up in in the world of comedy or at least try to get closer to what would be an opera you know the an ideal opportunity to be a, like a late night comedy writer um, but now it's it's a hobby for me, and I'm yeah. and I'm okay with that. And it, but because it's still I'm still passionate about it. Not all your, you know, passions have to be professions, right? But but as long as you're passionate about something, I think people can appreciate that. And people invest in passionate people. Mm-hmm. So if you're a person who walks around with your head up, people will see you a lot better mm-hmm. versus someone who's chin down, obsessed in something that you know is maybe not going their way, or or they're just hyper focused on one thing, like. Pick your head up. Let's like let's yeah. make some eye contact. Let's let's have a human connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about burn. Yeah. So it's it's 2013. You're training a client. They tell you they work out better. They burn more calories when it's cold. We all have conversations. We all have little lights that go off in our head. What made you go back and like dig further into that idea? Yeah. Well, it's just the idea of like the whole why why not? Yeah. You know, this this woman who was a Harvard professor, by the way, uh, <laughs> who was in the city, and she was just saying like, you know, it was it was the summer of 2013, and it was hotter in the studio than it was outside. So we just like sat down and talked that day mm-hmm. uh, on the session. You know, while she was we were supposed to be training. And it, she's just like, yeah, fall, winter, it's like my favorite time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, I, I look my best, I f- feel my best, and I was, you know, I felt a lot more athletic during that time. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting when she said that, like talking about, you know, obviously looking her best and performing at her best and just feeling her best. And I just thought about like why people exercise. They It's for mental health, for physical health, and, you know, just overall well-being. And as a person who associated excessive sweating as the byproduct of a great workout experience you know, being a wrestler I was like wow if 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 cooler temperatures can be seen as an ally not an enemy I wonder what that would look like in mm-hmm. in sort of the the gym space and so that night I went home and I just typed in cold gyms cool workout studios and I couldn't find anything and I got really mad that I couldn't find anything because I'm pretty good at finding things on Google yeah. <laughs> and so I just did, you know was digging deeper and deeper into into this this search and I started finding things about burning more calories in cooler temperatures than ambient or hot because of your body having to work hard to stay at 98.6 and mm-hmm. this thing about called brown fat and about marathon and cycling times and about sleep being better in bettered in like between 60 and 67 degrees and the cryotherapy movement was just on the rise and cold showers and all these things I'm like wow it seems like yeah cold gets a bad rap and just out of nowhere the pun burn came to me Mm because of the burn more calories thing so b-r-r-r-n and then the symbol being a snowflake and and to me it was an obvious choice because of like when you get cold water, it's it's a snowflake. You see refrigeration, it's a snowflake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also aside from the temperature, it's also a symbol of like 
of being one of a kind and inimitable. And I and to what I saw, there was nothing that was like this. Um, and then that's sort of when this whole pursuit came to life. And I started thinking, this might be an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. One in 36,000. Yeah. It's now, it's <laughs> actually now like 38,000. Like we went to a con, I'm like, okay, two more, 2,000 more people decided to open up studios and, and we're still the only studio out of 38 plus thousand uh, in the United States that focuses on exercising below 72 degrees. And, and it's 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 almost like it feels like too too good to be true and yeah. and we did a lot of cold calling pun intended uh, to, to find if it, like what people were operating their temperatures in mm-hmm. you know their their workout studios in and sure enough yeah it was it was normal ambient range or yeah. it's or it's hotter you know like the hot yeah. yoga movement or the hot other hot workouts and it's not to say that you shouldn't exercise in those studios but we're saying if you really want to perform you know, at your best, if you want to like optimize performance and move better, yeah. turn the thermostat down. And in our temperature range, it's, it, it, you know, before we had started at 45, we went as high as 60. And what we found through, you know, just seeing our community come through and, and how they were receptive to our classes, that 50 degrees in 50 minutes was the ideal time to train. Mm-hmm. And so now all of our classes, the three that we offer, we do in 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Which you were able to experience. I'm sure you were. I you was. Know. I love it. I could go on all day. I'll oh, do that in the intro. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think what's interesting, though, is how you and your co-founder bring expertise from different angles of the health and fitness industry. How did you meet your co-founder, first of all, before we... Yeah, sure. So, uh, so his name is Johnny Adamick. He was a former public health official for mm-hmm. former Mayor Bloomberg's Obesity Task Force. Mm-hmm. And he was a guy growing up in a small town in, uh, you know, he, he grew up in, uh, in Wisconsin um, and went to the University of Wisconsin, was Bucky the Badger, was like mm-hmm. the mascot. Oh my for, gosh. <laughs> so you could tell like a lot of energy. I took a class with him and I, yeah, I sensed that. You could tell, you could tell it. Um, it's just, uh, and so he carried that like vibrancy for life he walks yeah. around with and he's, he's one of the smartest guys I know. And we met in the private training space. He was, he was trying to extend his health and wellness experience to the to, to make it a little bit more he was trying to make it like to personalize that experience and we were just talking one day and he had he had known that I was doing some work in in film and TV and he had this idea for like a reality show and mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell him it was terrible but I was just like willing to listen to him yeah. and he was passionate about it and so we started talking and and I just something clicked and said like this guy's this guy's the other half of burn because I had a you know, background with branding, with obviously doing work in advertising yeah. and, and being a former D1 athlete and having had a pretty successful private training career. But I didn't know how to, to articulate the science to the to the degree, the degree that I thought he could. And so I just, I said, hey man, do you want to get coffee? And so he's like, yeah. Um, even though we both, I, I know you can, I'm, I've, I've had a long day, I'm a lot more energetic <laughs> over the phone. <laughs> But uh, we both didn't need to have coffee. We were both like just wired at that point. And I just told him, I'm like, hey man, I got this idea that I've been working on. I sold it. I think I, you know, I sold it to. I sold the emotional aspect of it to him, mm-hmm. the aspirational, um, what the programming I thought could be. Uh, but I just like, was like, here's some of the science. And he, you know, he also wrote for the Daily Beast as their health and wellness critic. So he's a skeptic oh, cool. by nature. And so he said. Okay, this is this sounds really amazing, but let me just go back and review some of the public health literature that I had a, that he still had access to, mm-hmm. um, and he would let me know. And so the next day he wrote this like caps lock email, <laughs> and the loudest email that you can read, saying like, "Oh my God!" and just saying that like, he found a, a bunch of other studies and said, yeah. "This is incredible. Let's do this together." And then the journey began 
with us together um, to really help me take this idea and to actually apply it, like apply it and to put it into action. I think it's the hardest thing. And I, I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs who want to do something solo because they feel like it's their thing. But I knew it wasn't going to be anything if I didn't share it with, with him mm-hmm. because he ended up making it better than what it was. And we both made each other better. And there's like a necessity of of having people that are, that that don't represent your strengths in in your core unit. Um, and... I have to defend everything that I that I you know um, that I pitch with our stuff, and he has to do the same thing. And it's great; it feels like speech and debate. Yeah. But when we have, it's like almost like the Socratic method, where we come to a singular truth, mm-hmm. and then it becomes law, and then we move it forward. And it's great because if you have that groupthink mentality, I don't think the I don't think the best things could happen. So we ended up making it happen, and in 2015 we did our first trial. At a Six Point Breweries beer fridge in in Brooklyn, we worked out in this like ten foot by uh-huh. ten foot space. We signed a lot of liability waivers. They said like, "Don't slip on the beer on the floor. Have fun." <laughs> and we filmed it. And I was like, "Cause I want to make a trailer to send to to investors." And so mm-hmm. uh, we did. We worked out there, and that was all arranged by Johnny. Johnny was like, "We have to. If this is science driven, if this is research driven, we have to do research on mm-hmm. our own." So we tested it on ourselves. Then Johnny arranged another trial to be done in my hometown in Pennsylvania. I had a buddy who owned an ice factory because in Pennsylvania, your friends own ice factories, right, you know? That's just how it is. <laughs> that's how it is, right? And so uh, we tried it out there with a, a mixed population of people, former college athletes to, you know, mothers who were just trying to get back into shape after yeah. pregnancy. And I used my mom's beauty shop clients, her, her sort of uh, her list to contact those people, as well as my friends who live from back home, you yeah. know? And it was incredible. And that was as low as 32 degrees that we worked out in. So Ooh. we were like anywhere from 32 <laughs> to 40 degrees. Yeah. And and then we had all this research and then we like didn't have any more money to like really do stuff because this was a side hustle. And we came at a breaking point where we thought, is this really worth moving forward? Um, and then we just, we, we both realized like this was keeping up keep, keeping us up at night and that there was such a tremendous opportunity. We just needed to keep believing in it a little bit more and and that's when we met our third partner who was a former client of mine and uh he helped make this a reality he became our first investor Mm -hmm. and sort of the business arm to this whole entire entire uh, process he he had a background in commercial real estate and in investment banking and we knew that that was something that we did we had no idea about so Going back to the necessity of surrounding yourself with people who know better than you. If you are the smartest person in the room, get out of that room. Get out. So uh, we have this, what I call Fresh Prince of Bel-Air model, where Uncle Phil is our third partner, Johnny's Carlton, and then mm-hmm. depending upon the day, I'm either Will or Vivian. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. But like I love the fact that we all have different backgrounds, but yet one singular, like one, one similarity, which is like our passion to disrupt a very stagnant industry yeah. uh, through cool temperature yeah. fitness. Question for you. I, th- I think a lot of people, in 2013, idea comes to you, you're coming up on your one year, right? How many years of research and building the concept did you guys do before bringing it to investors? Because I think what a lot of people get stuck in is the rabbit hole of like information digging and gathering. How mm-hmm. did you know it was time to make the jump and, and just put it out there. As yeah, I well, before. yeah. I mean, when we knew we knew that we had to try it out, we had to do a lot more research. That was all led by Johnny. Um, but I, I I also find parallels in how people like like people in the acting community like they'll they'll audition and then they're like you know what 
maybe I need to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And they get buried in, in just this constant education. And they, and, they, and they just take so long to go out and, and do the thing that they want to do. And we knew that it had to come a point where we had to just eventually just go out there and start talking to people. So, yeah. you know, it took us like two years of developing. We had a, a full year of, of meeting with our architect, Peter Bryant, who helped build Soul Cycle number two through X amount of. Oh, wow. uh, so it's like him and another gentleman are like the two main uh, boutique, uh, archi- you know, boutique exercise architects here in, in this in the city. And uh, Pete was a former um, hockey player, mm-hmm. and so he got refrigeration. And so we met with him and his mechanical engineering team to to really try to create this you know unique space. And that took a very long time to do, and and we consulted with a lot of different people because we're like we're we're setting the tone here. We're the first movers in the space. Yeah, we have a responsibility to know every inch of the space, and to be the biggest champion of your product, you also have to be the biggest skeptic of your product. And we knew that there was a problem, which was heat getting in the way of your workout experience for you to perform your best. Mm-hmm. So how could we engineer a space that helped prompt better movement and optimize performance? Yeah. And it was through trial and error. It was through getting third-party research about cool temperature exercise or cool temperature exposure and what does in terms of calorie expenditure, in terms of acclimatization, in terms of performance, um, and to really lay out this pitch deck that, like, edutained, that got people to understand that we were solving this problem and that we were planning to not just be another branch on this tree but to really supplant a whole other system of exercise so to create a whole nother unique workout space that could change the conversation with with how you know how people exercise here right. here in the city as well as the rest of the world yeah and I hear your passion just in how you speak about burn I know you guys did the due diligence you did the research and the work and brought in people with the business acumen to back that up how important did you feel your passion for the business was in onboarding investors what you mentioned before is that people invest in people and they invest in passion. What does that mean to you? It means everything. I mean, we we pitched this over three hundred times. Wow. I mean, <laughs> if you don't get thick skin through that, I don't know what what will what will what else will do it do it right. And I'm so grateful that we heard no. Like, there's a necessity of no. Mm-hmm. And I think we live in a very and look. I'm an improv guy, so I live in this yes and culture where you you say yes to the world that you create in in a scene. But when it comes to character building. Uh, not just character work. Yeah, you it needs to be. It has you have to lead with no. Like you you have to learn from no, mm-hmm. and how to deal with that because rejection sucks. Uh, and if you again ta- attach your identity to the thing that you do, it's as if they said no to you personally. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a separation between personal and business. We were asking people to literally give us their their money to make this dream a reality. So as we were told no all these times. I would say in 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 uh, in acting whole for sound, but that's okay. <laughs> right. um, but anyways, but as uh, as uh, as we were told no so many times, we distilled our concept. We changed things around. Like the nos helped us be a lot more malleable. Yeah. And I, the nos helped us define who we became. So in that rejection, we found acceptance of who we really were supposed to be, and. Then a few people said yes, and then, then then the lights were able to be turned on. We found a space in literally the Broadway of fitness here in Flatiron, Chelsea, mm-hmm. on 20th and 6th, and we knew that like if you we had to be in the most population dense area in, in this whole entire city with with fitness, and this yeah. is it. The entire world 
there is so much competition here. Yeah. So we knew that if we could stand out, which we knew that we would because of the unique selling point, people may just walk in. They may think that we're like an ice cream shop or that right. we're something out, you know, uh, and we would pique their interest. And we knew that as long as they walk through our fridge door, they're going to walk out better for it and they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Something that you've shared is that anybody can think of an idea, but the execution of it is key. If you could pick one thing from your mentality to your support system with your co-founder to your vision and passion for the company, what do you think has been your biggest part in your ability to execute on Burn today? Having a group of people that that challenge you to be better. Mm-hmm. Again, it's go, it's go, it's not by being the smartest person in the room, but if you're the most capable person, if you're the one that's that's doing everything, or that you, if you're not willing to relinquish control like letting go is a big thing too mm-hmm. trust the people that stand alongside you um, and that, that goes with how we lead as a company you know we know that we have to earn people's influence we, we have to earn our influence with other people and I think people who think of things or groups of people who think of things they they're so protective of that thing it, it's it's their baby I mean this is a baby this is my 3,000 square foot baby yeah. and and like creating a movie or a TV show, it no longer becomes yours once it's out in the public. It is it is the public's, mm-hmm. and that was a hard thing to, to to you know come to because you're crossing your fingers every day, hoping people come back. But going back to people investing in people, it's interesting to see how our vibe, this like brand that hasn't fallen in love with its own reflection, really standing tall. And being unapologetic with our stance of saying, if you want to live better, one, don't make the pursuit of living better a popularity contest. Be about feeling better and mm-hmm. be about like performance and all of the vanity-driven stuff like losing weight. That will come when you least expect it. You know, mm-hmm. as a guy that lost weight his whole entire life for for wrestling, the more I thought about cutting weight, the like the harder it was to do that. Right. I think we've shifted people's perception on, on that as well as what it means to exercise in a cooler climate. I mean, the three different types of classes that we have, we have a, a slide class, which I think you've taken, which is, you know, we, we focus on the necessity of lateral movement because we move linear north-south. We be, should be training east-west. So we have this, like, you know, this um, low to no impact class where you pretend like you're a speed skater for 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a we work our way to that yeah. that feeling, <laughs> but it feels like a, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it feels like a, a more slick, you know, reformer, like Ply's reformer. Yeah. And we do that in 50 degrees. Um, and then we have a hit class, which is half battle ropes and half weights. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more combative, and it's a great experience. We use those ropes for endurance, and it's, it's you get a total body experience yep. in those 50 minutes. And then we have a hit and slide class, which is a combination of all three, slide boards, weights, and, and ropes mm-hmm. in this like trifurcated system. And it's just great to see people who are in the best shape of their life and people who are just getting back into it be under one roof because that temperature doesn't discriminate. It, it affects everybody equally. And to see people walk in dressed in like coats and layers and then to, it feels like a strip club the first three minutes. Like yeah. they're just like, <laughs> oh, I could actually, my body's working very efficiently to stay warm. And they're sweaty. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's like playing with their mind. They're like, why am I sweat sweating? Like mm-hmm. this is supposed to be cold, but we're like, no, it's cool, not cold. It's a crisp fall morning, right. not a dark wintry night. You know? Exactly. You know, so... It's, it's, that's the philosophy is like embrace the thing that 
scares you. Yeah. And people have been walking out and now they, a lot of people say, I can't work out anywhere else. And then we didn't try to do that on purpose, but we <laughs> wanted people, yeah, but yeah, but we wanted people to say like, you know what? I come to burn. I'm greeted. It, it's a warm lobby. It's a cool experience. We have a communal infrared sauna. So mm-hmm. we say like, earn your heat in the studio, celebrate it together mm-hmm. in our sauna, which fit, fit, uh, fits up to eight people. Our price point is it's value driven. We wanted to sort of mimic this rest, you know, the fast casual movement, but yeah. like had this like fit casual movement where we embraced being on like class pass. We embraced having a membership, like an un- unlimited class and sauna membership that was $149, which people are like, are you crazy? We're mm-hmm. like, no, we want people to experience this because whether we're a side dish or the main course, we want you to put it, put you, we want you to put us on your plate Yeah, and, and it's worked in our favor and our busiest months were in the winter time, which made people go what the hell that's crazy yeah so it's uh i'm extremely grateful and this is a big it's a product of being a student athlete you know back was against the wall like what i did affected my team everything that i've learned in the the tribulations of student athletics has allowed me to triumph as an entrepreneur and i think the biggest message to give anybody is like follow your foot know that being a younger person with a dream is hard but it should be hard because we live in the age of entitlement right now. And we have to disprove the idea that we're super sensitive and that we feel like we deserve something. What what you deserve is it like what you need to do is give the people you know, give give something to people that solves a problem. Like if your thing that you're thinking about doesn't solve a problem, then go back and and fix that. And just be, just be a lighthouse for other people. Be be a lighthouse for yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know, see through the darkness, which is doubt, and then project that out, and and beautiful things can happen. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. As always, please let us know in the review section your thoughts and any topics you'd like to hear discussed. We'd love for you to join us on Instagram and LinkedIn to stay in the know and keep up to date with our community. The information for both of those handles will be in the episode description. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed and we'll be back for another one soon.